Hello and welcome. Happy New Year. This is the January 2021 Respiratory Care Editor's Commentary Podcast. I'm Rich Branson and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice is a bench study by Eno Kidani et al. evaluating the phenomena of Pendeluft in a lung model. Several groups have described Pendeluft as a potential mechanism for lung injury in patients with heterogeneous lung disease. Using separate test lungs, they evaluated the impact of altering model effort, ventilation settings, and differences in lung model mechanics. They reported that Pendeluft severity increased with greater differences in effort between the models and was amplified by the differences in lung mechanics. Ventilator settings had little impact on the severity of Pendeluft. Kasmeric and colleagues contributed an accompanying commentary regarding the presence of Pendeluft in patients and the potential consequences. In past years, Pendeluft was thought to be the reason that patients with unilateral pulmonary contusion often developed hypoxemia because the differences in compliance resulted in the gas moving between um, separate lungs. This has proven not to be true, um, but the issue of Pendeluft has raised its head again as an important issue. Rice and colleagues evaluated the impact of COPD overdiagnosis on 30-day hospital readmissions. They retrospectively reviewed all subjects coded with a COPD diagnosis at discharge. In 424 subjects, 29% were overdiagnosed by the lower limit of normal and 23% by the FEV1 less than 70% of predicted. Overdiagnosis of COPD resulted in a significant increase in calculated readmission rates at 6.6%. They concluded that the accuracy of COPD, COPD diagnosis is a critical issue given penalties for COPD readmissions. Neil McIntyre provides commentary emphasizing the importance of accurate diagnoses and the financial ramifications of these inaccuracies. Rogerson and others describe a respiratory therapy-driven protocol to reduce the use of inhaled nitric oxide in a children's hospital. They identified failures of inhaled nitric oxide defined as a lack of response and the use of sildenafil to aid in INO weaning. They reported a 40% decrease in the number of hours of use of nitric oxide and a cost savings of nearly $900,000 per year. Todd Tizantos provides an accompanying editorial describing the importance of respiratory therapy driven protocols on both improving patient outcomes and limiting costs. Lee et al. described the impact of different non-invasive ventilation interfaces on FiO2 and CO2 rebreathing. Using a lung model, the authors evaluated nasal and oronasal masks along with a varying the site of the circuit leak. They found that the site of the leak had a far greater impact than the type of interface on both inspired oxygen and the presence of CO2 rebreathing. Moretta and colleagues evaluated patient preferences for home oxygen equipment, comparing a portable oxygen concentrator to an oxygen cylinder. Subjects with chronic respiratory disease performed six-minute walk tests with each device while monitoring oxygen saturation with a target of 92 to 95%. All participants completed the questionnaire related to quality of life and device preferences after using each device for one week. Subjects preferred a portable oxygen concentrator three-quarters of the time owing to the improved mobility. Minin and others retrospectively evaluated the use of NAVA in subjects with congenital diaphragmatic hernia. In this small trial of 10 subjects, NAVA was introduced following traditional modes of support. In several cases, NAVA was transitioned to non-invasive NAVA without incident. NAVA was associated with lower airway pressures and a reduced oxygen requirement to maintain those levels of SpO2. 
Yann Nadal studied the emotional label, labor of respiratory therapists employed in hospitals. Using a survey with over 350 responses, they found that four risk factors impacted mental health. Basic emotion expression, superficial emotion control, emo diversity extent, and weekly work hours. The authors developed an app to allow therapists to monitor their mental health in an effort to have them seek early treatment. Schwartz and others evaluated preserved ratio impaired spirometry in a large data of over 18,000 tests. PRISM is a reduced FEV1 or, and or forced vital capacity in the setting of a preserved FEV1 to FVC ratio. The incidence of PRISM in this database was 18% with middle age and increased body mass index as the most common associated factors. This reported prevalence was much higher than previous reports. Shivad et al. performed a cross-sectional survey of respiratory therapy practice patterns in India. In a sample of 237 participants, 73% possessed a bachelor's degree and one in six a master's degree. The majority of respondents were employed in the hospital setting in the acute care environment. Assignment to home care in India was rare. Wapo and colleagues performed a retrospective analysis of survivors of critical illness in a mobility-based rehab program. In this small study, subjects who received high-protein nutrition demonstrated improved weaning success and greater likelihood of discharge to home. These findings need formal hypothesis testing. Andrello et al. evaluated maximal voluntary ventilation and FEV1 as outcome predictors in COPD. Comparing these variables to other common measures of COPD severity, MMV was found to be a predictor of clinical outcomes and was a better predictor of respiratory muscle strength functional exercise capacity, and patient-reported outcomes in FEV1. Fernandez and others evaluated non-invasive CPAP in a pediatric lung model. They varied upper airway models, leak, and simulated mouth breathing. They report that delivered CPAP was reduced by about 25% depending on the magnitude of the leak. Their data suggests that a large cannula can provide CPAP in this model. Paul et al. used a bench model to evaluate aerosol delivery during non-invasive ventilation. They compared three nebulizer tape types using radio-labeled aerosol to determine inhaled mass and the effect of nebulizer device position and leak. They concluded that during non-invasive ventilation, nebulizer placement at the ventilator outlet, outlet was more effective and minimized deposition on, face and, on the face and on the mask. The authors recommended that aerosol therapy should be avoided in the presence of a large mask leak. Samadhi et al. compared the use of asthma scale to the asthma score and predicted outcomes. The asthma scale categorizes patients into mild, moderate, or severe conditions, while the asthma score uses the sum of the assessments to create a numerical score. They found that the asthma score showed better clinical predictability and clinical correlation compared to the asthma scale. Davis and others provide an interesting study of aerosol therapy aimed at eliminating the severe acute respiratory syndrome from coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2. In a basic science experiment, they used normal human airway epithelial cells grown in culture and exposed them to SARS-CoV-2 and a compound called optate to alkalinize cell pH. In addition, a small trial of safety of the compound was accomplished by delivering the aerosol to 10 healthy subjects. Optate prevented viral replication in culture and had no impact on epithelial cell viability. Subjects breathing the aerosol experienced no changes in lung function or vital signs. 
The authors conclude that this treatment could prove useful in patients with confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection. This is an unusual paper for the journal um, being based in basic science, but Dr. Davis is a respiratory therapist um, and this is one of the first treatments aimed at treating the virus directly in the lung. And we look forward to further um, clinical investigations of his work. Torbic and others contribute a systematic review of neuromuscular blocking agents for use in ARDS. Their analysis suggests that early use of neuromuscular blocking agents improves oxygenation and decreases day 21 to 28 day mortality, but does not improve 90-day mortality. TXR et al. provide a systematic review of spontaneous breathing trials in the neonatal population. They conclude that spontaneous breathing trials in premature infants accurately predict extubation success, but not extubation failure. Papali and colleagues provide a special article on improving safety during intubation of patients with COVID-19. They developed a pre-intubation checklist tool to aid clinicians during the current pandemic. Two new AARC clinical practice guidelines on tracheostomy care in adults and children are also presented. These multi-author papers review the evidence related to a host of routine procedures performed in the routine care of patients with tracheostomy. Dean Hess, managing editor of the journal, provides an accompanying editorial tracing the history of AARC clinical practice guidelines and their evolution into the current day. We appreciate you subscribing to the Respiratory Care Podcast, and we certainly look forward to a better 2021 and widespread adoption of the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine and a return to more normal daily life. Best regards. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.